you'll hear this story and you'll also be gaining knowledge when you listen to it on how to do these things. I realized that like my concern was really just what people were going to think of my decision and oh my god she's crazy what is she doing she's not you know she's supposed to be pursuing a career this is when she's supposed to be finding a job and I that doesn't appeal to me that never appealed to me. Play a major role in spreading the love and the joy and uh, reducing our imprint you know for for future generations and for all that we share this planet with. I was just embarrassed. I felt like I couldn't do it, like I'd already failed. I had no idea what I was doing. What did I get myself into? What was I thinking? Our history of humanity really revolves around great people. And that's, that's all we know about. And why is that? It's because the insignificant people weren't important enough that somebody would take the time to document their life. Hello everyone, my name is Kaylin Otto, your podcast host, and you are listening to The Unruly Podcast. This is your first time here. Thank you so much for being here, and if you are a longtime listener... Thanks for coming back. Uh, There's some exciting things going on. So one, if you listen to the past couple episodes, you might have heard me announce that Kim Beller, the awesome host and founder of the podcast and nonprofit Sanctuary Tour, handed over both of those things to me. And I've been putting up some new podcast episodes on the Sanctuary Tour podcast. And today's episode, I actually got in touch with the person that I interviewed today, and we were going to do this for Sanctuary Tour. And I had a feeling it was going to be so good and also make a lot of sense to put on this podcast. And after we did the interview, I was like, yep, that was perfect for the Unruly podcast. So this is another one of those that is crossing over so that if you listen to this podcast, you can get a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about on the Sanctuary Tour podcast. And if you listen to Sanctuary Tour, you could get a little bit of an uh, idea of what we talk about on this podcast. So I'm just trying to cross those over and get some people to branch out a little bit and listen to the two podcasts. So... Like I said, today's episode you can find on the Sanctuary Tour podcast, and there's already so many episodes over there. I mean, there's 30-some episodes, and I've done the last through, so if you go to SanctuaryTour.org, you can find the podcast episodes there, and be sure to find me on Instagram, because that is a new account, and there's not that many followers, and yeah, I really want to make it look good, so go find me over there and show me some love. The second announcement is that my book is almost ready to go. Ah! I'm so excited. I have it all done and I am expecting to get a proof in the mail here sometime soon so I can check out the book one last time in its printed version and then it will be ready to print and sell and distribute to all of you. Yay! Uh, I'm just, I'm so excited. It's been a long time coming. I never realized how much effort went into writing and editing and publishing books. So this was quite the learning experience. And on that note, my book publisher, well, I did kind of a hybrid version. It's self-published, 
but this company, 105 Publishing, really helped me through all of the things that I just didn't want to go through on my own, and they did a great job of editing along with a few of my friends completely edited the book. This book has had a lot of time and care and attention, so thank you to everyone who has done that, but I would highly recommend 105 Publishing, so if you're interested in them, you want to learn more about them, go to the show notes, and I'll put a link to their website so you can reach out to them, because... They have been so supportive and amazing throughout this whole process. So I'm very thrilled. I'm very pumped. I'm very excited. And the books will be released into the world soon. So yes, be sure to check them out. Check out Sanctuary Tour and get ready for my book coming out into the world. I am in Texas right now. And I am visiting Dallas, visiting one of my best friends. And it's the first time I've flown since COVID has happened. And it's interesting because when we booked the tickets, uh, there wasn't this huge spike again. And then right before I had to leave, there was. So it's just been interesting to see what flying looks like, what travel looks like, uh, all the differences and the energy and all of those different things. And what a weird time to be alive. Also, Texas. I mean, good old Texas. Every time I've been through Texas, I'm just like, wow, what's going on here? But we did go to a water park yesterday that was a man-made lake with <laughs> a really high diving board that I went off of, slides that could potentially really hurt someone, and this big swing thing that you hang on and push off of and jump into the water and that's seriously besides my friend has been my favorite part about Texas so I'll give them that I'll give them the water park um so I used to do updates on this podcast all the time about where I was but it's been a while so there you go there's all about the water park in Texas all right the story we have today is so interesting and there were some moments of the story where we're going long going along and I'm like yeah yeah this is like you know wow, you know, this is a really interesting story, but, you know, it's people going through school and different things like that, and then all of a sudden, there are these just wild, life-changing moments. So, I'm so excited to share this story with you today, and of course, like always, if you're interested in Melissa, who I'll be talking to today, you can find all of her information in the show notes below. All right, let's get into it. I have a lot of questions for you because what you're doing is so unique and exciting, but can you just introduce yourself to our listeners? We're going to get into what you do, but just tell us like who you are, who you are as a person. We're excited to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a person, my name is Melissa. Mm -hmm. I'm a really big animal lover, and I do everything I do is kind of revolves around animals and helping them. Um... I love my friends. I love to laugh. I'm kind of silly. I don't act my age at all. And sometimes <laughs> people are surprised when they learn how old I am. <laughs> it's oh, wow. Funny. oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah. Is that good? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great introduction. I always like to hear like, you know, what people think are important about themselves. I love that you said that, that you don't act your age because I feel like there's so many weird ways we're supposed to act. Yeah. And I like yeah. that you're just like, listen, <laughs> not doing this. 
I know. I'm like not doing it. I never do anything how we're supposed to do it. No, and that's why you're perfect for this podcast, and while I'm so excited to ask you questions, because uh, you have kind of made up your own niche thing, it feels like to me, because the sanctuary world is such a small group, but then you're a vet that goes from sanctuary to sanctuary, and an artist who paints those animals, you know, and helps the sanctuaries through the profit that you make from your art, so I'm just very... uh, like, in awe of what you've created for yourself. I think that's awesome. Oh, thanks. And and just to clarify, I'm a vet nurse. I'm not the vet. Okay, you're a vet nurse. <laughs> vet nurse. Yeah. Wow. So let's start at your story, like, your vegan journey and the story of you being an animal lover because you're obviously around animals all the time now, and like you said, your life kind of revolves around it. When did you start realizing, like, oh, I really love other animals? Oh, gosh. I've always, since I was a kid, been obsessed with all the animals. But we weren't really allowed to have any as kids. Like, my parents didn't want any. And so, but they let us have hamsters. So <laughs> I went through quite a few hamsters. We had a little little graveyard in the backyard for all the hamsters because, unfortunately, they don't live very long. Yeah. Um, but then um, I guess when I was 18 or so, I read that book, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair about the meatpacking industry. And mm-hmm. that kind of did it for me and I was started being vegetarian then um and have kind of moved through various phases of eating since then up to vegan and um yeah I've done a, a lot of different things with learning there's a lot of learning to do with being you know vegetarian and vegan and I didn't do it right mm-hmm. at first um I didn't know how to do it in a healthy way so I had to learn how to do that yeah and it, like it's always a book that kind of takes me to the next level like that um the jungle book was the first one and then later when I was looking more into being vegan I read a book called 95 okay oh sorry my cat is standing on this <laughs> that's okay um, <laughs> yeah there's a book called 95 called uh, it says meeting America's farmed animals and stories and photographs and it's said that 95 is the average amount of lives that animal lives that are spared per year with a vegan diet. So that really made an impression on me, too. Oh, wow. Um, And how did these books make their way into your hands in the first place? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think it's probably through um, just talking with people. I don't remember how I heard about The Jungle. I know this book, 95, I think I probably found it online because I follow a lot of, like, vegan and vegetarian people and, you know, pay attention to everything going on there so there's always good recommendations but that 95 book was a long time ago actually I don't even know what year I I took it out so I could like reference it correctly Mm -hmm. (laughs) I haven't had it out in a while but it looks like it was from 19 oh no I don't even see the date on it but the pages are yellow (laughs) yeah that's when you know it's an older book Yeah. I think that's so awesome because books can be such a powerful tool. Like one book can somehow make its way into your hands and your life is is changed. So it sounds like you're already on that path, but those really solidified some things for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then just like, you know, watching Forks Over Knives and all the documentaries that are out there and different podcasts and stuff is also giving me a lot of information. 
Yeah, which is awesome because now you're on a podcast giving other people information. <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I love how that happens. So when, so were you an artist from a young age or when did these two, you know, animal loving and art overlap and, and then when did they combine? Because I'm sure there was a point at first where it was just an overlap. Yeah, I, so I always like wanted to be either an artist or a veterinarian when I grew up. And I found this little book that I wrote in fourth grade because we had to do like this young authors conference thing where you write a little book and it was like called About Me. <laughs> and there was a, and I wrote in there that I wanted to be either a veterinarian or an artist and I drew a picture of a koala bear in a tree. Oh, <laughs> That was so cute. And um, yeah, so I just, I always really liked drawing and I'd enter little like art contests and stuff and I don't know, it's just something that always made me feel good when I was doing it. And I always loved animals. When I'd go to a friend's house that had animals, we'd, I'd always, like, be playing with the animals most of the time. We're, <laughs> like, really interested in hanging out with their dog or their cat yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and even still sometimes when I go to, like, parties or whatever, back when we could do that. Um, yeah. Always like look for the animals to hang out with first. Yeah, because uh, do you feel more comfortable with them sometimes? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm like sure. you're who I want to talk to. Yeah. So yeah, so it's always been like that. And then um, when I, I went to college right after high school and studied art, but it was like fine art, and I realized I didn't quite fit in that field. It was more of um, I don't know. It was well, the schools that I went to, they wanted more expressive kind of artwork and like I liked drawing representational art mm-hmm. you know I like to look at something and draw it and they didn't really like that at those schools mm-hmm. so I always felt like I was failing at that because there was a you know the critiques were always like that's not what we're looking for and it took me a long time to realize that there was a difference between art and illustration mm. so I was I was living in Montana this is many years later I never finished school that time um I went for three years and then I dropped out and then I was in Montana and I had a a big accident and I broke my leg really bad. And at the time I was an organic farmer and I was trying to like get that going in my life because I really enjoyed that. But then this accident where I broke my leg, I couldn't really bend my leg that much anymore Mm -hmm. um, right for a while after that. So that was kind of the end of farming because, you know, you're always like on the ground weeding and, you know carrying things and yeah that wasn't gonna work so I while I was recovering I was looking at these books because I had this um fascination with growing hot peppers in Montana it has a really short growing season so it was kind of a challenge to see like the hottest peppers I could grow and I was looking at this book and it had these like beautifully illustrated peppers in it and then I realized wait that's somebody's job like, I was like yeah. wait a minute, maybe that could be my job to draw those things for books. And so I started looking into what that would be like, and I found the world of scientific illustration, which was fascinating to me. It's like when you draw um, things for books or diagrams or, mm-hmm. like, those trailhead signs that explain things, um, that show the insides of things or life cycles, stuff like that. Yeah. So I started looking into how to work as a scientific illustrator, and I ended up going back to school. I couldn't decide between art and science, and so that was where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to finish my art degree, and I'll get a biology degree, and then I wanted to go to the school in Santa Cruz that was um, a scientific illustration school, but it was really hard to get into, and um, 
really competitive and so I wanted to do everything I could to make sure I got into it. So I, I did that. I finished school um, and I did get in. So then I went to Santa Cruz for a year and it was like a scientific illustration master's certificate program. And then as part of that, it ended up where we had to do some internships. So I went to New York City and did some internships there working for the Natural History Museum. And oh, I was drawing wow. turtle skull fossil reconstructions. And then I was working at Natural History Magazine and doing illustrations for them and for a lot of other people. And it was really like taking off and I was doing really good at it. And I had a lot of stuff published. And then, um, and then the recession happened in like 2010-ish, 8, 9, 10. Um, and then all, all the jobs went away and nobody wanted to pay for art anymore and Ugh. everything kind of changed. Sorry, this is a really long story. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. We're here to learn about you. So, yes. <laughs> um, so, so what I did was well, I was working on a book and then I had, I had kind of a personal um, tragedy. One of my best friends died and I wanted to do something to honor him. And he was a really big animal lover, particularly turtles. Mm. So I decided to go to a sea turtle rescue in Costa Rica um, in his honor. And then as I was looking up that, somebody sent me a video of a sloth sanctuary in Costa Rica as well. And I started looking at that. And I'm like, I want to go meet these sloths. You know, they're Whoa, so cool. yes. And um, so I wrote to them and I said, hey, do you have any need for illustrations in exchange for a place to stay? And they said, actually, we do. So they let me come for, they said as long as I wanted. I ended up just only going for two weeks there and then one week at the turtle place. Um, but while I was, was there in Costa Rica, this is kind of a hard story, but mm -hmm. so they they get a lot of injured sloths into the sanctuary and a lot of them were electrocuted because their, you know, their habitat was disappearing and they were climbing on electrical lines mm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them didn't make it and they would, um, keep their bodies for, you know, research. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to have some, but there's not a lot of research done on sloths or there wasn't at that time. And so they wanted to have somebody draw, you know, their digestive system and that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh boy, I don't... <laughs> wow, that's quite a task. And yeah, emotional. That's intense. I don't know yeah. if I can deal with that. Um, it sounds really sad and really hard. Um, but I'll try and I'll see what happens, you know, because it's important to, you know, learn more about these animals so they know how to, you know, help them and save them yeah. when, they're, when they're hurt. So they had a bunch of vet students come in and they were doing um, what they call them necropsies. It's like a animal autopsy. And something happened in my mind where I turned, like, clinical, and I, like, the scientific side came out, and I was like, oh, okay, like, I'm still, I'm not, I'm sad about it, I don't like seeing this, Yeah. but I know that I'm doing something that's going to help them eventually. So, like, this part shifted, and I was able to, like, really focus in and do what I needed to do, and I was surprised by that, hmm. and so then I ended up went back to New York and I was thinking, I was like, gosh, wouldn't it be fun if I could just go to different sanctuaries everywhere and, you know, do drawings for them or, you know, in some way help them with my arts. And 
and the recession was still, you know, going full full steam full ahead. Swing. And so it's like looking into grants and different ideas for doing the sanctuary project. And I couldn't find anything. And I ended up, I was actually went to Spain for a little bit because my friend was house sitting a for a place that had a cat that had asthma. And mm -hmm. she had to travel from Barcelona a few times. So she wanted somebody to be there to stay with the cat in case it had an asthma attack. So I ended up going there for two weeks, which was lovely. Um, and the cat was fine. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I had still been applying for different illustration jobs. I wasn't getting anything, even like bidding really low and not even getting a response. And I was just really frustrated. And I had also tried in New York to like, sell at street fairs and markets and all that kind of stuff. And that wasn't working. And, and I was really frustrated and I was like, you know, this is just, I, I need to do something different. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking about being a vet tech because I knew I had that clinical side now that, you know, I'd learned in Costa Rica and I, I didn't know was there. Yeah. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll go to school for that. And I started looking into schools. And then while I was in Spain, I applied for a school, you know, in upstate New York and or slightly upstate then I got in, and then a week later, I went back home and started school to be a vet tech. Um, wow. And because yeah, I have a lot of schools. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're very qualified. Like, you know what I mean? Very, like, <laughs> educated on these things. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up, like, I went for two years there, and it was quite a haul. I lived in Brooklyn, so it was, like, a two-hour commute each wow. way on the train. And I only went part-time because that was you know, that was a lot. Yeah. And then I ended up doing a couple different internships there. I was at the ASPCA and I was at the city zoos for a while and learning a bunch about different kinds of animals and how to take care of them. And then I ended up moving to California after that. Um, and I was pretty much focused on just being a vet tech, learning how to do that job. I was still doing a little bit of um, science illustration. Mm -hmm. my, my last client was probably a couple years after I moved here in 2014, and that was National Geographic. So I felt like, you know, I reached the top of that game. Oh, I wasn't wow. really enjoying it. I feel okay about walking away from it in a way. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I really so liked I hearing this because I, I feel like you have your almost dream creation, like, from when you were a kid. You said you were going to be, you know, like, you want to be a vet and you want to do art. And some people could look and just be like, wow, you've got it made. Which, in some ways, yes, but I like hearing all the hard work and time that went into it. You know, all of these different things that you had to try and the moving around in the school and different things like that to get you to your you know, your dream, you know, at least as a child, your dream job. Yeah. Yeah. It's really been kind of a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a lot. Um, yeah. So then I guess when I was in, when in, in California, I moved here because my sister's here and I wanted to be around her and my nephew. And then I was working at an animal hospital, and I'd been working there for, I don't know, four or five years, and still doing art on the side, and I was really missing art, and I was thinking, you know, this isn't quite exactly what I want to be doing. Like, I like taking care of animals for sure, but I don't like the way I'm doing it, kind mm -hmm. of. Like, I don't like, you know, 10-hour shifts and, you know, just like stress, stress, stress for 10 hours, and 
you know, it's just like I needed something a little bit different. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking, I was thinking again about the sanctuary project that I thought about in, from when I was in Costa Rica. And I was thinking, you know, I really, I want to find a way to make that work because I still, I do still have an online job through the Natural History Museum in New York doing um, layout and design work for um, their scientific bulletins when they discover a new species. They'll send me all the stuff and I'll put it into InDesign so they can publish a, a little book or a pamphlet or whatever form it's going to be in. Oh, so I still awesome. have that. So I knew it could work from, you know, other places. So I've been kind of just thinking about it all, but not really, like, knowing what to do. And um, And then on my way home from work one day, it was about two and a half years ago, I got into a really big car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, like... I was driving, and there's a spot on the 101 where it's it just stops during rush hour. just stops. And it stops, so I stopped, and I'm sitting there, and I was all in a, in a crabby mood about something. And I was sitting there waiting, and then all of a sudden this, um, I got this huge hit from behind me, and I was... And I remember all my thoughts, and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, that something just hit me so hard. And then I was like, why am I spinning? Oh, and then gosh. I was like, oh, my gosh, please don't go over the median because, you know, there's another, you know, I didn't want to go into the oncoming traffic. And I realized later, actually, it was an overpass bridge, so I would have gone over the bridge. Oh, my gosh. Um, but I bounced off of that, and I was, like, directly in front of me. I was, like, perpendicular on the road. And directly in front of me was a semi-truck, and I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, turn the wheel. And I was turning it, and it wouldn't turn. Oh. And then I was like, well, this is how you die. Because my dad actually got, died in a car accident because he got hit by a semi-truck. Oh, my goodness. About years ago. And I was like, well, this is how you die. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to die. And then and then I was um, thinking, oh, I didn't get to do the animal project that I wanted to do. And that was my very last thought before I hit the semi. And I was like, okay. I was okay. I, like, somehow, like, I was alert soon after. Yeah. And uh, and I got really lucky. Like, it was insane. I don't know how I'm still alive. Because you got hit by a semi, right? Like, essentially. Yeah, because he hit me first, too. I didn't realize when I hit him, like, he was the one that hit me first. Oh, wow. So he was on his phone and didn't see the traffic stop. So he just went full, you know, he was going, like, 65 and just ran into oh, me. Oh, my gosh. So I, I ended up with, like, head injuries and face injuries and stuff like that. But that was it. And I was so lucky. Yeah. And like when I realized I wasn't dead, I was like, okay, well, I think now I need to go do the animal thing. Like, like yeah, like, that was your last God. thought before that happened. And you're like, I didn't do this. Yeah, and I was really bummed. I was like, oh, so disappointed. And so that kind of led me from there to, like, trying to figure out a plan of how to do this. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that story with us and – taking the time to explain how you got to that point because yeah that's so much into it and that's so much time and effort from you and then that story about the crash like wow that that was the last thing you thought about yeah before getting hit by a semi that's so telling yeah yeah I was like just such regret that I hadn't done that Wow. So you had already gone, like you said previously in the story, to the sloth sanctuary, and you Mm -hmm. went and did the turtles. So how did you then get it started? Like, what was the first sanctuary 
you know, after those ones, after this accident that you're like, all right, this is where we start. And it was your first time, like, you know, now I'm doing the project, which, which sanctuary was that? Or what type of animals were you with? And how did that go? Uh, well, I, I thought about my original plan. I had planned <laughs> after Costa Rica, I kind of planned an around the world trip and I found certain sanctuaries I wanted to go to. And, um, then, you know, didn't have the funding and all that, but I still had all the like research and all that. So I kind of looked back on that. And then I ended up actually going to a conference for a community called Location Indie. And mm-hmm. it's um, all about how to make a location independent business and people that like to travel. And they were doing this conference in Denver. And I ended up getting cleared medically to fly because of my um, head injuries and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went to the conference and they had like some hot seat moments and they put me up in one and they were like, okay, tell us what you want to do. And then I showed them my scientific art and I told them what I wanted to do. And I told them I have that, you know, that online job I can do from anywhere. And they all just kind of stared at me and they're like, why are you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, oh, wow. And, yeah. And it's weird that it took that, but then, you know, they talked to me a little bit more, talking about my goals and then they're like, okay, so when are you leaving? And I said, December 8th. Or no, I said January 8th, I think. Something like that. I just, out of nowhere, I was like, January 8th, I'll go. And they're like, okay. And it was October, I think. <laughs> so I was like, and I showed them um, this donkey sanctuary in the UK that I had been following for years. And it has a donkey cam and you can watch the donkeys. And I just really love donkeys. <laughs> so I was like, that's where I'll go first. Because that's, you know, that's what I've been thinking about for years. That was kind of how I chose. I chose the UK, and I didn't actually go to that sanctuary first in the UK, but it was my first trip. Okay. Uh, and I, so I looked around and I plan, and I was like, okay, wh- what are all the sanctuaries I can find in the UK? And I kind of, I went to, end up going to five different ones and planned like the trip and the train and all the travel around those five different sanctuaries. And um, yeah, I, it, I just kind of like did a lot of research to try to find out what was the best places. I ended up at two different donkey sanctuaries because I love donkeys and mm-hmm. a hedgehog sanctuary and um, a couple of them that had multiple animals. Um, I went to a bat hospital, like oh <laughs> a lot of different wow. random things that were super cool. And then I did the thing where you can have like a stopover in Iceland so I got to go there on the way and I went to a cat cafe there (laughs) yes so many different types of animals because the sanctuary that I'm used to going to and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are used to going to are you know farmed animals or even the sea life ones but you're like donkey uh hedgehog bat like all of these things what so some of these sanctuaries when you went to them was that your first time working with that animal or had you already oh, encountered yeah. most of them? No, I mean, I, I actually had a hedgehog as a pet for a while since I'd worked oh, with wow. him. Um, um, he was abandoned and needed a home after the hurricane hit New York, Aww. so I ended up taking in the hedgehog there. Um, so I'd worked with them, and donkeys, I just, I don't know. I worked with them a lot now because <laughs> I always end up working with them wherever I go. Yeah, um, I think I've seen some pictures of you with donkeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a real big crush on them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually didn't start going to farm sanctuaries until later on. Like I was going mostly to different like different animals where it would focus on one animal kind of thing for at first. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah and then I started actually around here going to more farm animal sanctuaries there's a lot around where I live yeah Um, you have a wealth of them there yeah so I've been to a lot of them around here do any of the sanctuaries stand out to you as like wow if I you know the people are listening they need to know about this sanctuary is there I'm sure there's so many because you've been to so many um but are there any that you're just like wow I can't leave this episode without mentioning them (laughs) yeah there's a couple so um the Isle of Wight in England has a donkey sanctuary that it was I think that may have been the first place I went um and it was just amazing. It was just the people were lovely. The donkeys are so sweet. I just, I loved it there so much. And it's a really cool little island. Um, oh, wow. And there's a lot to do on the island, too. So it's kind of like a good vacation spot in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a little bit to get there because you have to take ferries and stuff like that. But I just took the bus around the little island. There was so much to do. Um, I think there's more. I went in the winter time. I think there's more to do in the summer for sure. But there's a lot of different sanctuaries there, too. And it was just a really interesting place. So the Isle of Light Donkey Sanctuary. Awesome. And then um, more recently, I was in Zimbabwe um, in Africa. I got stuck there during COVID. So I had gone there for a three-week. It was supposed to be a three-week trip um, to work at a sanctuary. And then the borders shut really quickly, and I couldn't really uh-huh. leave. So I ended up there for six months. Um so there was two sanctuaries there that I was at that were just amazing. Um, the first one is called Free to Be Wild. Oh, I've seen a lot on your website about them. Yeah, yeah. I love that place. They have a bunch of different animals. A bunch of baboons and monkeys are kind of their main thing, vervet monkeys and baboons. Mm-hmm. And then um, they also have, like, zebras, warthog, kudu, um, all kinds of animals there, mongoose, owls. Lots Whoa. of dogs and cats. Um, they have giraffes now. I haven't met them yet. Um, they have a lot, a lot of different kinds of animals there. So that was really fun because there was a lot of like baby animals. So there's a lot of nursing the babies to health and you know feeding them and you know a bunch of different kinds of animals I'd never worked with before. Like I was giving enemas yeah. to a zebra. Like who oh does my that? You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you do apparently. <laughs> Oh my like gosh! Like that, gave enemas to a few different things. So, how were these um, animals? How did they end up there? Why were they there? Um, usually, well, a lot of the, you know, illegal wildlife trade has to do with like why the monkeys were there. Mm-hmm. They're you know being trafficked, or they got run over, or their mom got run over on the road, Aww. and you know, so they'd be orphaned. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was is illegal stuff. Yeah. Um, the baboons, they too, a lot of them got hit by cars or, you know, the mamas had died and they were orphaned. And so it was always something where they had permits. So they would have, you know, people would bring, they knew about them there and they would end up bringing them there to, to get them better. Um, so we would, there was contact with the baby monkeys, but when they got to a certain age, they just went and lived with the troop. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's really no more human contact. And then they, they're recently just let out a big troop of them into the wild, into a controlled space where they can watch them. Oh, but they're awesome. Wild now. So, yeah, they want, ideally want everything to go back to the wild. Um, I love that model. If they're too injured or if they have, like, some of them have 
you know, brain injuries where they have seizures and stuff like that. So they can't leave um, and take care of themselves. Um, some of them can, they get through, there's one baboon who's, her mama got hit by a, a bus, I believe. And she was with the mama Aww. and she got injured too. And her name is Daryl. I did a painting of her Aww. and she, um, she kind of rolls her head around in a circle when she walks, but she's totally, she's really high up in the troop mm-hmm. and she'll be able to be released with the troop when she's, when they find a good spot for them. So sometimes they can come back from something you wouldn't expect. Like, yeah, so many animals you see that, you know, the vets will advise euthanasia and they're like, oh, I just don't feel like, you know, yeah, I think have, you know, more life in her and, and then to see them come through and be okay. It's just amazing. I love that sanctuaries have more space to do that because um, yeah. a lot of the sanctuaries that I've been to, some of, you know, the animals that are most dear to them, just because they've spent a lot of time with them have been injured you know, or something traumatic has happened to them and their special needs. And it's always like, I took them to the vet and the vet said just to put them down. And yeah. in sanctuaries, a lot of them, because they are there for the animals, they're just like, eh, no, we're going to give them another chance. And I love, I love hearing when it works out. I love that, you know, these non-human animals get this chance. Um, yeah, I think it yeah. shows some of the better sides yeah. of humanity and, yeah, sometimes they just, you know, they got have some quirks, but they got it. They can do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's always so nice to see when that happens. And then, of course, you know, it doesn't always happen. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Hard to deal with when it goes the opposite way. Yeah. So what was the other sanctuary that you went to in Zimbabwe? Or was the other one also? It was called the... No, that was, it was a donkey one. Oh, yes! <laughs> um, yeah, it's called the Matabele Land Animal Rescue and Equine Sanctuary. So they went by mares. Um, and that one, I ended up there because while I was with the first sanctuary, um, we got three injured donkeys. And this was all during COVID lockdown, which was a military-enforced lockdown there. Oh, wow. And it was really intense. Like, you couldn't to the grocery store without a letter from the police like it was it was something wow. um so it was hard to get even vet care or you know even leave to get supplies anything like that you couldn't really you we were just working with what we had and um we got three donkeys in that were really really injured badly um well two of them were and one was a baby that was very malnourished Aww. and I ended up working with them and being, you know, obsessed with them, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really attached to them, and we couldn't keep them where we were. Um, so we had, were moving them to a donkey-specific sanctuary, which was in the same town as the original sanctuary. And they were friends, the two sanctuaries. Um, so I ended up going with them to that sanctuary, with the three donkeys, to that sanctuary. Um and then just volunteering there for the, the second half of the time I was in Zimbabwe. So I was at the first one for three months, and then the, the donkey one for three months. Wow. Um, so that's a lot yeah. of time. That's a lot yeah. of time to be around animals. and. Yeah, you really get to know them when you're, you know, yeah. they're not long. So, of course, those, you know, two places made the biggest impression because I, you know, I yeah. got to know the people and the animals and, you know, the people working there and, 
you know, I saw a lot of new animals come through, a lot of animals not make it, you know, it's, it's a lot. And there was, a, you know, very limited, you know, supply and, you know, help available for most of the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, our sanctuary is usually excited to have you come help out and have you there because, yeah, I know even living on a sanctuary before, um, sometimes you're running it with what you feel like is not enough people. <laughs> and I could oh, yeah. see sometimes how they would just be like, yes, please come help us. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely always like really happy to have the help. And I think at first they don't really understand what I'm doing with the art stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I get it later. Um, yeah. They're like, yeah, come help us. Sure, that sounds great. You can paint a painting, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I looked at your paintings. They are gorgeous. They're so bold and bright and... And I could see if sanctuaries didn't look you up first, they would be like, oh, paint a painting. But then I could see afterwards how they'd be like, oh, my gosh, that was incredible. <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely working with limited people and resources and help and all that kind of stuff. So they always want, you know, any help they can get. And then, you know, it's some of these experiences, you know, you can pay for to, like, go and volunteer and mm-hmm. sometimes I've traded certain things like like the donkey place she wanted a calendar with the donkeys on it which we've now changed to cards because the calendar was too expensive to print in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. um, but she traded me you know that for a place to stay and, and you know food and and then I was also helping with the animals and I mean that was a lot of work like yeah, I oh, yeah. You didn't really have a lot of days off in those six months, you know? No, no. <laughs> and then I didn't, I did some painting when I was there, just because I was there for so long. But usually I'll just, like, volunteer and be with the animals and help them and take a lot of photos and then do the drawings and paintings and stuff when I come home. Um, but since I was there for so long, I ended up renting a little art studio. Oh, wow. And, and painting from there, too. Wow. So then for our audience, I've, you know, researched and I think I know how it works, but so you usually do the painting and then you sell them and then you give 10% of what you make off each painting to the sanctuary of the animal that, you know, of who the paintings of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sell the paintings and I make a lot of different products with using the, you know, painting image that I made. So I'll make, the biggest thing I do is like, make greeting cards and it has the picture of you know the animal on the front that I painted and then on the back of the card I tell this a little story about the animal so people get to know them and know like how they came to be in the sanctuary or what my interaction with them was um you know special little story about them and then information about the sanctuary itself and where they can find them and so 10% of everything I sell goes back to them um and I'd like it to be more but I still need to yeah that's your job I mean (laughs) yeah so I've been I have a bunch of different things too I sell art prints and coffee mugs and bags and tote bags and ornaments and you know random things so but they sound so special I mean they have your your art and your memories and your you know time put into them so yeah, I highly encourage listeners to go check it out because I've already stalked your paintings and all of those things. Um, but I will put the link in the bio of the show notes for anyone who wants to go look at your Instagram and also look at your online shop because, yeah, it's gorgeous, gorgeous. I love 
I love your art. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure other people will too. And also they can feel good, like they're supporting you and you're supporting sanctuaries and animals and they're directly supporting sanctuaries at the same time. So what a great gift. Like, you know, what a personalized special thing to to get for someone or get for yourself. Um, yeah. So thank you for like, doing that. And they're directly supporting that animal in many cases if the animal's still there. Oh, awesome. So great. So it's almost like a, a little sponsorship for that animal too. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know. I just want it to be something where people can, you know, be happy and smile and have compassion and learn a little bit more about a different kind of animal. Like I made friends with a vulture and I <gasps> painted him and like, Who's you know? Can you please tell us about that? Following me around a yard, he has one wing. You know, (laughs) like like stuff that you never think about. So it's like I don't know. It's interesting because I I sell stuff at um. We have a little local holiday pop up shop here called Locally Made, and I work in the shop too. So I'll get to hear what people say when they're looking at it, and Mm -hmm. like. It just makes me so happy and to see how many smiles that, you know, people get when they look at it and then read the stories. And I try to keep the stories happy. There's a couple sad ones in there. Yeah. Uh, just because I think it's important to see both sides. But I really don't like showing, like, graphic or gruesome or telling really sad stories or anything like that because we all know it. It's out there. I don't want to be the one who's talking about that because mm-hmm. I mentally can't handle it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too much for me. Yeah. Uh, but... Once in a while, I'll, I'll let people know, like, something sad or, or bad that has happened. Right. Right. But I, I, yeah, I do feel like I myself even put that stuff out there. I feel like there's a lot of that. So I really like seeing the the, the flip side of that, too, because um, I feel like that's not something that we see all the time. And, yeah, that gives me hope, and it just makes me happy that that exists. So thank you for doing that. And I would love to hear more about this vulture because I'm obsessed with turkeys. <laughs> oh, me too. I love turkeys. Turkeys so are the best. And I'm just like, I don't know, a vulture just seems very, I don't even know if they act similarly or what, but I've just, that intrigued me. I would love to hear more about this vulture if you want to share. <laughs> yeah, his name is Terry. And he has one wing. They he was found. I forget where he was found, but and he lives in Zimbabwe at the Free to Be Wild Sanctuary. Um, somebody found him. He had severely injured wing, and they really tried. They went to a couple different vets to try to save the wing, and it just couldn't be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so they end up amputating it, and now he he lives at the sanctuary as a permanent resident, and he lives in the volunteer yard pretty much. Oh my gosh! When I was there anyway so there's a little volunteer kind of three different bedrooms and then a kitchen and a different building and a little fenced yard and and he stayed in there and he'd just always be walking around and he'd be like always trying to find blankets or clothes or something to rip up he really liked ripping things up <laughs> um and he was really you didn't want to really necessarily play with him because he has that huge beak <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he did bite me once playfully um but you know it left a bruise um thank god that was all yeah but he he just he's so fun and like volunteers would come and they'd make him like enrichment projects there's like stuff hanging from trees for him to play with and like they made all these steps for like these big plat for him platforms for him to jump up on and 
he would always we we would feed the little monkeys and baboons baby bottles in that yard too. Mm-hmm. So he would always try to steal the baby bottle like nipple things and run away with them <laughs> and eat them. <laughs> we always have to like chase him down and have him give it back. Oh my gosh! Um, he was just yeah, he's a fun little guy, very curious. Um, he was always like wondering what everybody was doing and would follow us around and get into a little bit of trouble. He always tried to pull like the blankets off the couch. Because the door was usually open in the kitchen room. Yeah. We'd have to be like, no, Terry, bring the blanket back. And he'd be ripping it to shreds. Yeah, he's too busy um, shredding yeah, the blanket he was, up. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Everything had to, we'd have to, like, try to hide everything up in trees that he couldn't reach and stuff. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love oh, that. He's a fun guy. Wow. Do you have pictures with him? Yeah, I think now him? that he... Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot on my um, Instagram. If you scroll back to like almost a year ago, there's a lot of Terry on there. Wow. And videos. And he would like with the dogs and like just hang out. Like at one point, like there would be like three dogs and, and like four baby monkeys, two baby baboons all running around and the vulture and every and lots of tortoises all in this little tiny part of the sanctuary where, wow. <laughs> where the volunteer section was it was just kind of funny there was always so many animals like like together that you wouldn't expect wow i love i love when different species are together mixed with humans and you're just like i know what so is happy. life <laughs> are there any other animal stories that really stand out to you like, obviously, there's so many yes. special animals, but it. I love that story about Terry. Are there any one, other ones that you really feel like you like to mention or talk about or that left this really long-lasting impact on you? Yes, there's one very special little guy called Gizmo, and he's a bush baby. And I didn't know what those were until I went there, I guess. They're like tiny, they look kind of like lorises. They have those big eyes and they're a primate. They jump in the trees at night and they're called bush babies because they they're kind of make a cry like a baby okay. at night. Well, I never heard Gizmo make that sound, um, but I heard wild ones doing it. Um, so he, he was found, um, I think he'd gotten maybe kicked out of his nest by, I think he was abandoned by his mother because he was really disabled. Um, and as soon as I saw him, I just fell in love. I was like, who is this? And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be his mom while I'm here. <laughs> and they're like, yes. okay. Um, and he, has like, he had like little crossed eyes kind of, and he was just a little bitty baby. And his back leg, his back legs were really messed up. Like one was kind of shriveled up and stuck to his side and just didn't move at all. And then the other one was kind of backwards. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I don't know, like his leg had kind of gotten twisted upside down or something. And so he couldn't do any of the jumping or any like climbing of trees or anything normal like a bush baby Aww. would do. So he definitely couldn't go back out into the wild. Um, but they had two other disabled bush babies at the sanctuary. So the person who found him knew that. They had, you know, released some disabled ones in the past, and if he wasn't okay for release, there would be two friends for him to have. Right. Um, so I ended up, like, he was probably a month old or something, three weeks old when we got him. And so I was, like, his mom, and he just, I, I can't even tell you, I've never loved an animal so much in my whole life, I don't think. I just 
fell in love. I almost like I considered selling everything and moving there to be with him because I just oh loved him my so goodness, much. It's oh. like this little like tiny thing that fits in my hand is the love of my life. <laughs> like, I love it. He's so sweet. I like feed him and I play with him all night, and like he would always like sit on my chest. He'd fall asleep on my chest sometimes. Um, and when I went to the donkey sanctuary, he came with me there too because I was still like feed, hand feeding him, and he needed a lot of attention and everything. Um, wow! So and the he just traveled with friends. So he stayed with me for like the full six months, pretty much that I was there. And when I moved, when I was at the donkey place, I was living in in a bedroom um, at the the owner's house, and and he just was out. He didn't. He wasn't in a cage or anything. He was just in the bedroom doing whatever he wanted to do. But he was nocturnal, so he usually just slept all day. But then at night, he would just start climbing around. And I remember the first day that he climbed and got in, got up into the bed. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, you're climbing! Like <laughs> you can climb!" And he was like, he would keep me up all night. But it was so cute that I didn't really care that much. Yeah. Um, and then one time I went in and I couldn't find him. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, what happened? Where'd he go? Like, and then I looked up and he was on top of like the window like and the cur- hanging from the curtain rod and I was like Whoa. what are you doing? I was so excited and then he started climbing after that and so he had just ever since then he was just like climbing a lot and like still couldn't be you know let out into the wild I don't think because he can't jump or anything or defend himself but mm-hmm. but he's more and more like a you know regular bush baby so now when I left I um, left him with the owner her name is Bay of Free to Be Wild and she's living in his bedroom or she, he's living in her bedroom right now. <laughs> Which is probably taken over by him anyway, so it's probably more like his bedroom. Yeah, it's like his bedroom, and he's, you know, he pees on things. He's not a good house guest, but, like, the animals come first there, so he gets what he wants. <laughs> yes, and that is how it should be. Yeah, and then hopefully she's tried introducing him to the other one, other push babies, but he's hasn't been in, that interested, so... When he gets a little bigger, he might be able to go out with them. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing that. I love hearing about all these different animals and the human, um, non-human connection that can happen and, and normalizing just, like, this animal living in your bedroom, this one living yeah. in your house, if they can't go back to the wild. Um, yeah. That is so – that's so awesome. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, I'm sure people are going to be wondering where can they find you, where can they find your art, where can they look at the pictures of all these animals you've talked about. What are the best places for people to do that? Okay, so I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Okay. And I go under the name of Wooly Bear Travels, and there's two O's and two L's in Wooly Bear. Okay. Um, So you can find me there. There's a lot of videos and it's a mix of like my animal photos and my paintings and drawings and stuff of them. Um, so there's something there from almost every day for the last couple of years. Oh, wow. Find a lot there. And then my website is woollybeartravels.com and that's where my shop is. So you can find like, there's an art gallery too, where you can see all the paintings and they, they're for the ones that are for sale are on there. And then all the other like greeting cards and prints, and everything else that I have um, are on there as well. I was doing a little bit of a blog, not so much these days. Um, I just want to spend my time painting rather than writing right now. Mm -hmm. So I might go back and do some more writing about everything at some point. 
And then I'm on Facebook too. And I have a shop on Etsy as well under Billy Bear Travels. Awesome. And I'll put the um, and link I'm on TikTok. I have somebody helping me with that because I don't understand it. So, <laughs> so my friend helps me make these cute little videos. I send her a bunch of stuff. Um, that's kind of fun to watch them. Oh, yes. I will definitely so, be finding yeah. you on there. That's so exciting. <laughs> cool. Well, I will yeah. link for everyone so that they can find those places that you're at and support you and support the animals. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add or talk about before we we wrap up? I uh, whew, There's so much, and I, I'm so glad that we've got to hear the stories that we have. <sighs> Yeah, I think I just thank you to everybody who has sanctuaries or works at them or volunteers or donates or they just do such difficult work and it's nonstop and there's no breaks and it's like, I don't know how people do it. It's so much, you know, heartache and love and smiles and just everything's really intense, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm just really grateful that there's people that do that. Make the world a better place by leaving things better than I found it. You know, whether it be people or the planet or, you know, all kinds of things. Isn't there a quote that says, feel fear and do it anyways? Yeah. 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 So I think for us in significance, we have to do it ourselves. A lot of people are doing things in their life that they're not completely happy with, mm-hmm. and they're doing it just because, you know, it's a norm, and they feel like they feel pressured by society, Definitely. or they're just, you know, stuck in this rut, mm-hmm. and, you know, ruts can be comfortable for people, and they can be very comfortable, comfort is not how you, how you grow as a person. <laughs>